Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Got a few responses, you know. Yeah, I don't expect much. It's always weird. Hey, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here uh, at uh, Salem. So special uh, greetings uh, to you. Just want to add, always want to add my welcome uh, to the welcome that's been given. We're so glad uh, to have you uh, here. If you're joining us online, uh, I'm going to look at you directly, kind of, you know, but a special uh, welcome to you guys uh, as well. So uh, before we jump into uh, our time uh, together this morning, as we're diving back into the story uh, of Acts and Witnesses, uh, I just want to share a quick update. Remember this last week we talked about uh, Ellen Hopkins and some fundraising kind of that we've been doing or supplied raising uh, for people, uh, for teachers at the school. Uh, I just want to give you a quick snapshot, just a few of our staff um, I didn't want to put all the teachers coming just for anonymity's sake, um, but uh, just a few of our people putting this together. And here's the response that I got was, uh, was a little note that kind of got passed on that just said, as they're hearing this in the halls, here's what's happening, is that teachers are saying how, how overwhelmed they are with your guys' generosity. So I just want to say thank you uh, to you, uh, lots to celebrate in what God is doing and leading us towards in this, in this friendship. Um, as well, if you didn't know, um, if you maybe want to drive out over here, um, you know, on your way out today, you'll see that the fence posts have started. Um, yes, we know that they're not perfect, so just, just remember that, you know, it's a, it's a fence. Um, and, uh, and the imperfect people were putting that fence together. Um, but um, that's the beginning, the beginning fruit of what will be the community gardens for our local community as well as Salem 2023. So uh, super exciting. So before, just with that, let me just, uh, let me just celebrate and uh, pray together. So, Father, uh, this morning, thank you so much for you, who you are, and your goodness, uh, and the way that you demonstrate uh, that goodness to us, most especially in Jesus. And so this morning, um, as we come, and as we're reminded, as we're going to see in the story, that each of us have uh, this deep, 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 deep need for you. Um, Lord, I pray that we would celebrate the forgiveness of sins in you this morning, and that if there's any needs that we have, that we would bring them to the foot of the cross, and, and that we would point ourselves and point other people to Jesus and the grace and the forgiveness, but also the new life that comes after that. And so, Lord, we know that there are those needs in this space this morning, and yet we also celebrate not only the gospel, we celebrate the, uh, all the work that you're doing through our church and meeting the needs of the people in, in our local community right here. So Lord, we just, we give you glory this morning, and we are in awe of you. In your name we pray, amen. So um, this last week, um, I got a text from from uh, Pastor Ken, and, and Ken sent me this text, and it said, hey, um, would you uh, be interested in going uh, golfing uh, this coming Friday uh, with Paul from church? And, uh, and I thought, man, I don't know this guy. This would be great. This would be a great opportunity for me to get to know somebody new uh, from church, and saying no to golf, ball, or golf is kind of just silly, right? So, um, so, so I worked it out with my boss, and she said yes, and then we, we scheduled this time, and and we went um, and went golfing, and just just check out this interaction. This is great. Okay, so so I went and I pull into the parking lot, and I'm getting out of my car and getting all of my stuff uh, together. And this other car pulls in, maybe one car away from me, um, kind of a thing. And he gets out of the car and and uh, just very cheerful, very 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 cheerful, very wonderful guy. And he goes, "Man, what a great day for golf!" 
And I thought, man, yeah, absolutely. This is, this is beautiful. It's the perfect day for golf. So we started this conversation, right? And we start talking, and, and, and we kind of start talking a little bit about life and, and all this stuff. And so um, as this, this conversation is going, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm realizing, again, I don't know Paul. And so I thought, maybe Paul knows me, and this is Paul. <laughs> so I wait for him <laughs> at my car. He gets his stuff. And then we continue our conversation, and we walk up to the clubhouse, and we keep chatting, and it's awesome, and it's really, really good. We get to the clubhouse. He goes, well, have a great day. See you later. Like, cool. Guess it's not Paul. <laughs> guess, that's, guess that's not Paul, you know? So, um, so here's what's even funnier, right? So I go, I get onto the, to the putting, I go in and pay, and I go to the putting green, and I, you know, I'm practicing and getting ready, because I, you know, I take golf seriously, and so here I am practicing, and, and I hear this guy out of the corner, you know, kind of of my range, and he says, hey, I'm going to go see if, uh, the rest of our, if our, the rest of our people are here. And, and so I look up, and who do I see? I see the guy from the parking lot. And in my mind, I'm going, I thought we established that you're not Paul. <laughs> You know, and so it's like I'm like I like I look at him funny, and I was like, "Excuse me," and he goes, "Oh no, not you, this guy." <laughs> and I looked to my left. Sure enough, there's a guy in blue, like like 15 feet from me. I'm like, "Oh, that makes sense." Excuse me. I'm sorry. This is like everything about this is awkward, right? <laughs> like like this whole time I'm like, "Where's Paul? Where is he?" You know, and uh, and then and then I hear Ken coming down the road, and as Ken comes down the road, I hear him talking to some people. And uh, so this, these people are talking, and they say, and I, and I know Ken's voice. And so in the midst of that conversation, they say, hey, is Seth here yet? And I hear him go, yeah, he's right there. And I look up, and it's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same guy. We go to the same church. Like, the church is big enough that I'm still learning people. It's awesome. That's great. You know, and, uh, and so he, he walks over, and then we just have this massive laugh. You know, I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, like, this is the guy that I've now had two conversations with, thinking it was Paul, not being Paul, and now it's Paul. Um, and so it's just weird, right? It's this weird, weird moment. Um, and uh, to, to be totally fair, I was wearing a hat and sunglasses, and so, you know, you take that stuff off, and, you know, the sun shines brightly on, on my head. You'll, you'll clearly know that that's, that's who you're talking to, so totally get that. Here's, here's this point of story, is that there are, there are people in this church that we, have, we, are, we are introverted, and we are extroverted, and there are people who gravitate towards relationships, and there are people who gravitate towards new people. Um, but, but either way, whoever you are and whatever you're wiring, there always runs the likelihood that when you meet somebody new, right, that it will be or can be awkward. There's always the possibility that there's challenges that, that, that come up in these conversations, right? And so what we're going to find this morning in, in our text as we continue uh, in Acts is this, is this story about a man who has these, these very clear and deep needs. And as Peter and John approach him, right, it has all of the, the possible, you know, um, pieces in play for this to be a really awkward story, and yet what we find is instead of it being really awkward, we find it incredibly amazing. 
right? It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you've got your uh, companion journal, notebook, whatever, it's on page 28. So the passage is there right for you. And so if you don't have one of these, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers um, will bring you one of those um, if you need. And just as a reminder, if you're not using these yet, um, I just continue, I want to continue to point you back to this because there's so much good stuff in here for you to engage with this uh, throughout uh, every, every week, kind of even every day if that's what you'd like. So um, as you're kind of turning and getting there, um, as we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, here's what I want you to know kind of setting up. Um, there's going to be a lot of watching in some sense. You're going to see, we're going we're gonna to see together as readers as, and listeners to the Bible story here, we're going to see a story unfold, okay? You're not going to hear a lot of verbal uh, interaction, which is interesting to me. A lot of what you're going to see is how like, people see and gazes and attention and how people perceive situations, and there's a few words in there that are recorded as them talking, and because there's so few words of this verbal interaction, they're going to pop out and stand out of the text in a way that really provides a lot of power for us uh, as, as listeners, okay? So here we are in, in chapter three, um, verses one and two, okay? We're gonna get this, this picture of these two different rhythms kind of at play here, okay? Verse one. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is, which is the ninth hour, okay? So I just wanna just kind of stop for a second because this flows directly out of chapter two. And if you look back, if you're in a Bible or we can have it on the screen here, back in chapter two, verse 43, there's this verse, right? After they've devoted themselves to these, these four big things, kind of the teaching and fellowship and prayer uh, and food and fellowship kind of a thing, um, it says that awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, okay? So it's kind of a blanket statement about things that are going to continue to unfold. And so what Luke is doing as an author here, and so for us as readers, is it says now Peter and John, what it's doing is connecting it right to that, and he's going to give us a snapshot this, this small picture, actually a really clear picture, about one of those miracles, okay? One of those miracles, one of those signs, one of those wonders that brings awe and amazement to the people in Jerusalem, okay? Now, here's the rhythm of Peter and, Paul, or Peter and John, though, okay? It says, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the, the, ninth, the ninth hour. So that's about 3 o'clock p.m., Okay, so um, back in um, New Testament times, uh, nightlife looked a little bit differently uh, for them than maybe it does for us. And so uh, even work, right? Work started earlier and it ended a little bit earlier because the nightlife wasn't the same. Like we work later into the evenings because we have electricity and things like that. So the day starts early, ends early. So here's the picture though of the daily rhythms that they're in. They do their work and whoever they are, they're doing their work. And then as the day is starting to wind down, everybody gathers together at the temple for prayer. Right? And that's their rhythm. It's a pretty powerful rhythm when you think about it. Right? And because if you go, gosh, like if we were to make that suggestion here, how well would that go? <laughs> you know, every single day when work is done, let's come here and pray. Right? That's a lot. It would be incredible and amazing, but it is a lot. Right? But we begin to see the importance and the significance of the prayer rhythms right here with the, with the disciples. Right? And, and here's what's something that's it's, it's, it's important to know, though, is that at the core of prayer is this idea of dependence. 
So we don't just, don't just read this and think about prayer in you know, just kind of this generic sense, right? Like what they're doing on a daily basis is presenting themselves before the Lord in this total dependence. And it's this dependent rhythm over and over and over, especially not just as individuals, but collectively as an entire body of people, is that collectively what they're doing is that this dependence is fueling their worship. Right? See, worship is much more about a way of life than it is a service. Right? And over time, the, the longer a church is around and, you know, the bigger a church is, the more dependent we become on services and programs, right? And for them, it was this, this very chaotic and yet beautiful picture of this daily life, right? And so we begin to see how incredibly deep and powerful prayer is for these people. And so for Peter and John, what they're demonstrating here is in their own walk is this rhythm of dependence, Okay? But what we're going to find is that at the exact same time, there is another man who's going to be brought into the story, and he is dependent in a very different way, okay? He's, he's in a whole separate story. He's in verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple, okay? So this is, this is the daily rhythm of somebody else, and it's a totally different level of dependence, okay? So he's described as lame, uh, which means he can't walk, okay? How long has he been lame? Since birth. We find out later in the text that he's around 40 years old. So I want you just to imagine, just stop and pause, because before we go any further into this, you will get out of this text is as deep as the, the, the level to which you put yourself in this man's shoes. Okay, so when you think about the idea of being lame, like this guy can't walk, and so for 40 years, so for a period of time, he was probably under the care of his family. And eventually, at some point, that had to shift. And so what does he do? He's totally dependent on people. So he probably goes to the temple. So he's gonna, we're gonna show you some pictures here in a second. But he is dependent to get these guys to carry him on a mat, they carry him to the temple from wherever he lives inside of Jerusalem. Uh, they carry him to this gate, and it's at this gate that he would station himself because it's where everybody else is going to go through the temple into prayer time. And so what better place to be, right? With people who are devoted to prayer, I'm going to put myself in a place where I can be dependent. I and mean, so it's not just the people carrying him, though. There's this dependence on, on people for, for his, his living here. Right? For his ability to provide for himself, because he can't work, he can't do that. And so it's a very different level of dependence. Here's what I want you to do. Just take a moment and just pause for a second. And I want you to think, what's your daily rhythm? What's, what's on your schedule tomorrow? What's, what's your agenda tomorrow? Whatever that rhythm is, I want you to swap it for this one. How does that change your life? You're dependent on somebody to take you somewhere, and then you're dependent on other people for money so that you can buy food and bathe and drink, all those things. It's a very different level of sympathy 
that we begin to understand. Now, maybe some of you um, have had physical needs in your past. Maybe you have them now. So you understand a little bit more about what that actually looks like or feels like in life. Um, the reality is, is that at the end of every day, though, like each and every one of us has needs. And oftentimes they're very different than this, this types of man's needs. But the reality is that we do. We have, we have emotional needs. We have um, mental needs. We have um, some physical needs, and we have spiritual needs, right? We are dependent on other people, right? But for the most part, we're pretty self-sufficient, and we don't rely on other people or rely, ultimately, uh, even on God, really, for that, that point. And so what happens is that this man is going to this gate. He's in process of being carried to this gate. Now, Luke, as an author, could have just stopped right there and said he, they carried him to a gate where he asked for alms. And yet, the way he records it is that they took him to the gate, which is the gate called what? Beautiful. So he's designating not only a specific spot, but it kind of feels like what Luke is doing, it almost feels like he's hinting at and pointing us to, to this reality that something beautiful is about to happen at this gate, okay? Right, something beautiful is about to happen at this gate, okay? So take a, a look at these pictures. So this is a, kind of a, a model um, with the, the New Testament uh, temple area uh, would have looked like outside is the walls, uh, the inside there, the two compartment, three compartment area is, is the temple with the holy place and the most holy place. And it's in the front of that is where they would have gone uh, to, to pray, okay? Um, but uh, you see kind of around, all around the edges, like those columns, right? Those colonnade kind of a things all the way around is called uh, Solomon's portico. And what we'll find is that later in the text is that this is actually where the story takes place, is in the portico, and this is the very place where Jesus would have walked and taught with all of his disciples around the temple, is in the shade. So rather than being in the hot, you know, humid desert sun, right, they walk uh, in, in the shade. And so on this other side, we'll see there's this entrance to where these people would have come in uh, on the south side of the temple, right? These, these different doors, kind of a, like an archway up that kind of goes. Um, and what we're finding, though, is that the man... The man, in his rhythm and in his process, is going to the beautiful gate, and that's where he's going to sit. We know that Peter and John are coming in to pray, which most likely would have been inside the inner gate, and so that's where they would have prayed. But here's what's important, is that the text starts by telling us that the man was being carried that he's still in this process of being carried. And so it's as if they're both going to the same place, and yet what God does is that he, he brings those two processes together right in the front. Before they ever even make their destination, these daily rhythms are in play, these processes are in play, and what happens is that God intertwines these two stories together, and he interrupts the process, and all of a sudden, these, these two people groups come together in this place called Solomon's Portico, right? And you begin to think about this, right? Like, this happens in life. Like, sometimes, like, you're on your way somewhere, and you run into somebody, right? Just remember, God is not a God of chance, Okay? Right? So you think about um, Old Testament, if we were to shift back uh, to the story of Ruth and Boaz. Do you remember Ruth and Boaz? Ruth is, the, is a widow who's um, living with her mother-in-law, and they've moved to a totally different country. And so they're in this process of trying to figure out life. And her mother-in-law says, why don't you go to the field and glean after the workers? So what does she do? She goes to this field, and what happens is that it says is that by chance... 
it happened that there was this man named Boaz, who, hunky Boaz, you know, like, and that's where they meet. They fall in love, they have a family, it's even part of the Davidic line, right, story, yada, 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 right? And yet, what it says in the Hebrew is that it's by chance, but that's from a human perspective. It's happenstance to us, and yet God is not a God of chance. So he's intertwining these stories together right here in Solomon's portico, right? It's this interruption of stories. Now, I've got a, this is kind of a unique thing that I want to try today. I'm going to take a story from my own life, and I want to weave it through the rest of our time together. And so I'm going to tell you the first part right now, okay? So when I was... Um, out of college and transitioning uh, into seminary, um, I was working with college-age students, um, and then I was working construction at the same time. Uh, and so there was this one one morning um, I was working in downtown Lincoln, Nebraska. I was on like a like a kind of like a parking garage at the top level. We'd come out for lunch and, you know, like a, a young guy who didn't have a lot of money and who's lazy to make lunch didn't have one and thought, man, what am I going to do? I have X amount of time, so I think I'm going to run to Wendy's. So I talked to my buddy who I'm working with, who's kind of a stickler on those things, and said, yeah, as long as you're back by such and such time. So I run down, and I start to move towards Wendy's, which is just a couple of blocks away. As I'm en route, you see how the story connects, right? As I'm en route, as I'm in process, I'm, I'm met by a man who has deep needs at the corner um, of one of the blocks. And it's in this space, in this moment, that has, it's, again, it's Christians. This is, it's riddled with potential awkwardness, isn't it? Because we want to help, and yet we don't want to help, <laughs> right? And so all of this stuff, and I have to consider, what is it that I'm going to do ultimately uh, in, this, in this next coming moment, okay? So push pause, Push pause on that story. But I want to give you kind of a big idea for this first part because I think this is super important for us to understand. And I read this in a book a long time ago. I think it's, it's always stuck with me. As Christians, we should never be so busy that we miss the simple and ordinary rhythms of Jesus. Cars change life. I get that, right? Right? So when you're driving, you know, don't try to, you know, hug somebody while you're going, you know, 40 miles an hour, you know? Um, but when you get to the grocery store and you get to Starbucks or you drop off your kids, whatever it is, there are these moments. And I think that many times in life, right, we use time and busyness to ignore certain people. Now, oftentimes, that's very appropriate. Okay, I've got to be at work by such such time. I've got a meeting. I've got this. And, and that's totally understandable but we also use that exact same excuse at very inappropriate times. I'm just too busy. And we don't, we don't specify it, but we move on because it's riddled with awkwardness for, for us. And yet, Jesus demonstrated for us that our rhythms should be in line with his. And shouldn't be too busy that we miss the simple things that Jesus did in any, in any day, every day, life, okay? So here, we get to this moment, right? So now we're at the moment, we know a little bit about the man, and, and what's going to happen between Peter and John and this, this man, okay? Look at, uh, look at verse 3. It says, seeing Peter, again, watch and, and listen for the, the, the eyesight language, this, this vision type of a thing. It says, seeing Peter and John, 
about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, right? This is normal. This is the mundane, everyday rhythm. He sees people. He tries to make eye contact. He says, hey, hey, excuse me. You know, hey, can I get some help, right? And then he goes on probably to the next person. Excuse me. Hey, can I, you know, can I get some help? Do you have any, you know, change to spare? And here's what happens, though. Look at, look at Peter's response. It says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. I just want to stop there. You see, again, so the first guy sees Peter and John, and what do Peter and John do? They see him. But it's a different type of seeing in this moment. They direct their gaze. Now, I just want just to think for a second, right? Uh, in, in this moment, right, um, how awkward this, this ultimately could be. Which, by the way, uh, if you have kids, take kids with you in these moments because they're way better at it than we as are as adults. Because they see it through the lens of compassion and heart. And as adults, we oftentimes see it through cynicism and skepticism, don't we? Right? And so here's the deal. When you think about this, right, like for us, it's so easy for us. We see a person and there's this tension in our hearts and we, we direct our gaze, but then it's almost as if everything inside of us wants to redirect our gaze and kind of move away from that moment and to kind of back away. And yet, the text doesn't tell us what's going on in Peter's heart in this moment, but you have to think, right, just knowing Peter and knowing the Bible and knowing the nature of humanity, you have to think that maybe in some way, shape, or form, Peter sees something in this man that reminds him of himself. Two very different people, two very different stories, exact same brokenness exact same brokenness. Peter knows it. He's failed Jesus. He's failed the disciples. Maybe he feels like he's failed his wife and his marriage. I don't know, right? But you'd think that he sees something, and it's in this moment. So he's directed his gaze at this man, and now what's going to happen then is that all of this, this, this story is unfolding. The very first verbal interaction happens, Right? You got to think that all of this chit-chatter is happening. Peter and John are probably chatting on their way. Everybody else, the thousands of people coming to the temple are chit-chatting. Luke doesn't record any of that. Here's what he records, these words, look at us. Look at us. Look at us. You see, do you see what's happening here? You remember last week we talked about um, the idea that we collectively as a church are meant to live life in such a way that it actually interrupts the self-absorbed conversations of the world. So here's this guy in this moment, all right, and we understand that to be sympathetic to his needs, but at the end of the day, this is a man who is self-absorbed because he's in a broken relationship with his creator. And everything he's doing is thinking about all of his daily needs, and those are good things, but there's something deeper at play here. There's something deeper at play in this moment. And so what Peter does is that he interrupts this daily mundane rhythm. So all of the people, think all of the people in this crowd and their, their elbow, you know, rubbing and getting in to go and they're heading to the temple to pray and there's chit chatter everywhere, right? There's all of this, all these people at play and yet Luke focuses in and it's as if in this moment, 
right? Something's gonna happen. And Peter is initiating something much deeper, right? And so here, this is where we actually take a step out of our story and we go back up to 30,000 feet, right? Because we remember, this isn't a story about Peter. This is a part of the, the Bible, which is a story ultimately about who God is and how he interacts with the world. And what we remember is that God is a God who initiates with the broken people. God is a God whose disposition is actually to rescue and to restore people through Jesus, people who are totally powerless to save themselves, right? This is God's disposition. And so as Peter becomes that image in this moment, he's gonna flip this entire story on its head by changing the interaction, the relationship's gonna change, but he's gonna change the needs. He's going to change ultimately needs, which, by the way, this is exactly what Jesus did over and over, right? It's exactly what Jesus did. And so what happens is that in this moment is that he says, look at us. What do you think happens? The man, does he look away? Is he disinterested? No. He's very interested. Why? Probably because he thinks he's going to get something. Hey, look at us. Hey, somebody actually paid attention to me. I, I was, okay, let me look at you. I'm going to zone in on you. It says he fixes his attention on Peter and John. And I like to think that there's this moment, and it doesn't tell us, but I like to think that there's this moment where Peter and John and this man are just locked in eye contact, which is, by the way, something that probably most people don't do. And it's as if what Luke is painting this picture that there are people everywhere and yet none, nobody else even really exists. It's like they fade into like this blurry state and there's three people right here zoned in on each other, right? And it's in this moment <laughs> that Peter says this. He says, I have no silver or gold. And I wonder, how long does it take for this man to check out? Does he check out right then? Because his hope is what? Built on what? The expectation he's going to receive money. So it's, it's almost as if, right, so Peter says, here's what I don't have. And in that moment, it's, I, I just think that it's like, it's like this man's heart would be starting to sink, wouldn't it? Okay, that's not what I need. That's not what I need. But then, but then Peter would go on and say, but. And it would re-engage his attention. Well, because maybe they don't have money, but maybe they have something else for me. So what, what is it that they have for me? And so it's like, oh, down, back up again. And it comes back up. And what does Peter say? He says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. It's a, it's a mind change for us when we think about what we do have versus what we don't have. This story lines up so much like with Jesus. If we go back to that story with Jesus, you know, and he's in this house and, and these guys carry a paralytic, same type of story. They bring him up and they take him to the roof of this house. And the roofs of houses were just built kind of like with beams and hay and clay and mud. And so these people start to tear away at the roof, which I've always wondered, where's the owner of this house and what's he saying? <laughs> You know, you know, like things start to fall from the ceiling. Hey, get off, get off my roof, you know? And they lower this guy down, and here he comes, and Jesus looks at this man, he's like, cool. Your sins are forgiven. That's not what I came here for. That's not what this is about. And Jesus says, well, which is harder? 
Say, son, your sins are forgiven. Say, pick up your mat and walk. Oh, well, we know the answer to that one. So that you may know that the Son of God has the ability and the power to forgive sins. Now I say, pick up your mat and walk. And what happens? He gets up, right? And he walks. Here's here's the point of of, of why this is important. Because we're not Jesus, right? Jesus is the only person who can forgive sins, right? And so Jesus met people's needs, but notice how he did it in reverse order, (laughs) right? He he said, "I'll, I'll forgive your sins, and then he met his needs. But for us, we show up. When we show up in people's lives who have needs, here's the deal. You can't just show up and say, man, can I just tell you what? Hey, your sins are forgiven. You can't do that. That's bad. Don't do that, Okay. What you can do is you can show up and say, let me meet your needs. And when you meet your needs, what you're praying for and hoping for and looking for is for a moment where then you actually get to say, but let me tell you about Jesus who can really meet your needs. See, that's the difference between Jesus and Peter. By the way, Peter is in the exact same place we are. He can't forgive sins. He meets the guy's needs just like we can. And then he says, but here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to tell you, right? He changes the needs. And here's, guys, when I think about this, I'm not saying don't give people money. And I'm not saying don't give away things. In fact, I think that we should give away things. But here's what I'm telling you is that I think that what you and I have to offer is something much deeper. We should always do those other things. That should be natural for us. But what you and I have is much deeper. And so here's the big, here's the big idea for that. As Christians, we need to, to change our mind and to stop thinking about what we don't have and start thinking about what we do have. Because even, there's many people in this room who go, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, I can't, I can't give away all those things. I get it. But guess what you do have? You have the gospel, which is far more powerful than any of that other stuff combined doesn't mean we don't meet needs. It means that you have something more, right? There's this invitation to life, this invitation to healing. And so as Peter, what does he do? He reaches down, he grabs the man by the arm, and he pulls him up. And it's in this moment that his feet and his ankles are made strong, right? And he's going to begin to move. But go back to the construction story for a second. So as I met this guy in the moment, as I look at him in this moment, and I'm going, man, what does this guy need? I have to choose, do I, do I pass by or do I engage? And I look at this guy, and, and many times in life I have passed by. I hate to admit it. But in that moment, I didn't. And I bent down next to this guy, and I said, hey, man, are you hungry? He goes, yeah, I am. I said, I'm going to Wendy's. Can I get you something? He goes, yeah. And I said, listen, man, tell me what you want and I'll get it. Because if somebody asked me, and here's why, because if somebody asked me if I was hungry and if I hated mayo and they brought me something with mayo, bleh, like I would, like, that would not be good for me. So for me, to ask this man is like, is to say, gosh, what is it that you like? Don't, don't just bypass that. Don't just think that any piece of random food will help this guy. What is it that you want? What is it that you need? I got it. I'll go get it. I brought it back. I gave it to him. And then I, you know, walked back up the stairs, uh, and I got up to with my friend uh, Jeremy, right? And I'll tell you just more about him in just one second, but I want to just share with you the movement, right? Because here's what happens with this guy in this story, right? In verse 8, 
Not, so Peter pulls him up, and this guy literally has this physical movement. It says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Can you just imagine this for a moment? Do you remember the first time you learned how to whistle? How long did you whistle? It's like three days. Hey, listen to this. <laughs> you know? Can you imagine walking after 40 years of being lame? Think about the, the noises that came from that dude's mouth. You know, like you've been so thrilled and so absolutely excited. But then here's the deal. There's this movement that happens with the crowd. Verse 10, right? Here's what it, here's what it says. And it says that the people recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate. It's like they go, man, like I noticed him. That's, that's the guy, that's the guy who's been sitting there every single day for how many years? And it's like they notice that something beautiful happened at the beautiful gate, right? And there's this amazement, right? He's the one who was asking for alms. It says they were filled with, with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. You see, the word filled is the same word that, that happened back in chapter 2 when the, when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not what's happening right here. I think what it's doing, though, is it's talking in a subtle way about how the Holy Spirit is entering into the story and he's stirring in the hearts of these people, saying, keep watching, I got something more. There's something more. It's not just for him, it's for you too. Can I, can I tell you that, right? And it's as if the Spirit wants them to keep watching, keep watching, and keep watching, which then brings to the message. And you go back to that construction story. As I went up and took, you know, my, my cheeseburger or whatever it was, and I sat on the truck bed of the, the guy I was working with, this guy named Jeremy, who's a guy I'd been investing in for years, and you know, had had some spiritual conversations that it felt like it was really slow. And, and so I got up there, and, and the whole time, this pride is just swelling in me, which is totally sinful. And I was, but I wanted to use that moment. I want, I mean, like, how do I bring this up? How do I tell Jeremy what I did? How, how, do I, how do I tell Jeremy what I did so I can actually share the gospel with him? But I was like, no, I can't do that. That's prideful. And I think I'm like eating this hamburger with this like constipation like look, you know? And I'm like, ah, what do I do? Jeremy pulls out a cigarette, opens it up, lights it, tears off, and says, so what'd you give the guy in the corner? He saw. He'd been watching, and he recognized what actually happened in that moment. And he was curious. It was like the Spirit was stirring in that moment, which brings us to the gospel, right? And I'm going to summarize this because we can't do it. But here's what happens is that this man is healed, and it says that he clings to Peter and John, right? It's almost as if the guy's like, I don't want to let go of you, because if I do, maybe I'll go back to the way that I was. I won't let go. I won't do it. I've got to hold on. And he's clinging to them. And then all of the crowd, they hear the hooplas and the amazement as they're walking the temple. It's like they look back at the portico and they're like, oh, what's happening back there? I'm going to go back there. And they all come. And guess what happens? Their gaze and their attention zooms right in on Peter and John. And the brilliance of this moment and this story is that Peter just points people to Jesus. 
You see, in this moment, guys, here's what's so important to realize. This should be unnatural for us. What I don't mean is this. It shouldn't be unnatural for us to meet people's needs. We should be doing that so much that it's incredibly natural. What's unnatural is that when people fix their gaze on us, that we hold on to it. See, Peter says, it's not about me. It's about Christ. And he says this, he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? And he goes on to tell them the story in this moment. He doesn't just leave it at that. He creates a story and he, he lays it out and he says, guys, there's this tension between you and God. You rejected Jesus. You denied him. You murdered him. You crucified him, right? That's bad. You're on the wrong side of heaven right now. And he lays it out for these people in, in a brilliant way. But the whole thing is he's shifting their gaze. He says, take your gaze off of me and shift it onto Jesus because that's who did this, not me. And it's this beautiful moment. And he goes on, he says, he goes, I know you guys acted in ignorance, but that doesn't mean that you're good. I get it. You guys are probably decent people, but decent people are depraved. You see, I think that what happens oftentimes in life is that when we see the guy on the corner, we see that guy who's in desperate need or that woman or whoever it is, it's because of their needs that it inspires something deeper in us. Like, man, like I know what you need, but you need Jesus even more. But what we miss is that with our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors who are decent people because their needs are different, it doesn't inspire the same thing. And we look at them and we're like, ah, they're decent people. They're really not that bad off. No, 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 no. Decent people are depraved in the exact same way. It's the same common brokenness that we need to recognize and understand. Because I want to wrap this up, but I want to take you back here because I just want to end with this. This is what I would call kind of napkin theology. I realize I can't pass along a way of life from the pulpit, but this is my disciple-making tip for you. I always carry a pen in my pocket everywhere I go, and the reason is, is because everywhere I go, the, the chances are there's a napkin, and so if you want to know how to share the gospel, I just want to just, just lay, chicken scratch this out for you really quickly and really easy. If you imagine this is a gospel, this is how I think about it. I think about creation, right? This is the way that God designed everything to be. It was in right, perfect, working order in the garden, right? Everything was in, was in unity and right relationship, but then something happened. It's called the fall. When sin enters into life and it brings chaos and brokenness and ruin to the world, and because Adam is the head of humanity, every single being that comes from Adam is now infused with sinful nature. That's who you are. So it doesn't matter if you're a decent person, you're born separated from God. That's the fall. Terrible scenario. The worst case scenario. And yet, God had a plan in Jesus, in redemption. And he enters in. So by the way, here's the fall. Here's the dead, broken tree. Nothing. But as Jesus enters in this story, new life begins to grow and at the end, you have this idea of consummation, which is eternal life, and it's the sunshine, it's perfect, no sin, no tears, none of that. And so if you want to know how to even put this on a napkin, you could do just this if you wanted to. You can share your story this way if you wanted to, but a simple way to draw it is creation 
fall happens, when the fall happens, there's this bottomless pit. It's eternal. It keeps going and keeps going, right? And yet over here is what God promises in the end. And so it's like, gosh, how do I get from here to here, right? That's the story of Jesus. Simple thing. God bridges the gap with the cross. It's super simple. Napkin theology. I just want to read you this quote. Read you this quote. Here's what it says. It says, what if instead of drudgery and discomfort, Jesus was inviting us into a way of life that was life-giving? And what if witnessing his way was creative, adventurous, and get this, natural, not awkward? What if being a witness was more about telling our story than regurgitating a canned presentation? I want to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to sing a song um, that talks about this. It basically says, not through I, but through Christ. You see, as Christians, we make this shift from it being not about what we do have, or not about what we don't have, to what we do have. That's the point. And, and if you put all these things together, here's what I would say as you think about this. Our schedule should never be so busy that we miss the simple and ordinary rhythms of Jesus. But as Christians, guess what? We can shift from awkward to amazing if we begin to interact with other people based on what we do have, which is the gospel, rather than what we don't have. And so here's my challenge to you this morning is that whatever your story and wherever you're at, I wanna challenge you to interrupt the mundane and invite people into something deeper. It doesn't mean that you need to share the gospel every time, but it means present yourself in a way that, that people go, man, they see me, they interact with me, their gaze is focused in on me, and I know that there's something more that's there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I know I went long. I pray that you, you hold our hearts and our attention this morning. And it's not about anything here, but it is about Jesus and the cross. That for whatever needs we have in life, whatever uh, it is that we bring before you this morning, I pray that those needs would be met uh, by Jesus and the cross, that we would point ourselves and others to Jesus. But as we leave here, that we would acknowledge that the needs that you have met in us is the most powerful story that the world has ever known. And so, Lord, as we go, would you help us to see people, that we would be able to interrupt the mundane, and invite them into something more. You know what I mean, pray.